Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. together. I believe the Lord has led me to something this afternoon, and uh, would you just partake of this with me? Yes. Praise God. I don't want to just talk at you. I don't want to talk toward you, but let's just let the Spirit of the Lord saturate our soul and our heart here tonight. The book of Psalms 24 and verse number one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof the world and they that dwell therein. For he that founded it upon the seas and established it, for he that hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Verse three, the Bible says, who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord or who shall stand in his holy place? A question is posed in verse three and some answers follow. He that hath clean hands and a pure heart who hath not lifted up his soul into vanity nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessings from the Lord and the righteousness from the God of his salvation. Amen. I want to I wanna preach to you this evening or speak to you from uh, the, the question that is posed in verse number three. My subject tonight is this, who shall ascend, who shall stand? Who shall ascend, who shall stand? Amen. The Lord has blessed us with his presence. His holy word is anointed already. It was anointed before we were born, so it was certainly anointed before we got here tonight. And so let's receive that word. And you can be seated. Thank you for standing. Psalms 24 captures, I think, with vivid details, the portrait of a godly man or a godly person. Now... It's not uncommon today for people to post pictures on social media and uh, some of those pictures maybe they've taken on vacation or, or whatever it may be. And then you will see sometimes in the comments that people will clarify this and though those of you on social media will know what I'm talking about or perhaps you will. When someone takes a picture, they'll, they'll say no filters added. In other words, this is the real deal. What you're seeing, this is not uh, a filter. This has not been tweaked. And so the world that we live in today, technology allows uh, pictures and things to be altered in every way conceivable. And so it's important, at least in some instances, it's important to clarify that a picture is true or this is accurate. And so with the programs like Photoshop and things of that nature, Almost anything can be altered. Um, and so what you're seeing is not what you're getting sometimes. And uh, I'm not wanting to make disparaging comments or remarks here and not to pick on anyone. But when you think about the world of celebrities from time to time, uh, you may see pictures of, cel of celebrities in their everyday life. Just they're common. Every, they're out buying groceries. And sometimes you cannot tell who they are. And so this, um, you know, just raging hunk of a man is just a pot-bellied father when he's in line at Winn-Dixie. <laughs> I'm home. <laughs> and so you, you, you can't, if, unless they've been professionally made up, in some instances, they're not even recognizable. And that's the absolute truth. Some of you know that's true. And so, but what David is writing about in Psalms 24 
is the picture of a true, absolute, godly man. Not to be gender specific, so we're going to talk about a godly person, a real godly person. No filters. No Photoshop. No, nobody working late hours in a dark room. It, it just, it is what it is. It's the raw portrait of a person that David says can ascend and can stand. And so who shall ascend and who shall stand? Now, there is little doubt in any of our minds that, I, that God is calling the church today to be a church that's godly. I believe with all of my heart, that's why we're swimming upstream against this. Because God is trying to pull the church and keep the trajectory of the church on a center. Amen. So God is calling the church to be godly. He always has called his people to be godly. Always. But there is something about the word godly that just causes us to somewhat cringe a little bit because the word godly is, is an intimidating word if you have any spiritual consciousness to be godly. The scripture says, be holy as I am holy. And, and, and unless you're just on some pedestal by yourself, those are pretty intimidating comments to be holy, to be perfect, to be godly. And, and uh, so uh, when we think about Words like godly, there are images, certain images perhaps in all of our minds individually that feel up. Words like pious or divine or righteous and, and all of those words run together like a kaleidoscope of images in our mind, hardly being able to detect one from the other. But while those words may accurately describe the word godly, they, that is not what godliness is all about. Amen. True godliness is not puffed up. True godliness is not proud. But true godliness is harmony between, and please hear me because this is a very, very important pinnacle right here. True godliness is harmony between holy principles and holy practices. Because there can be some principles that are not practiced and some practices that are not godly or biblical principles. And so true godliness is this harmony, this fine balance between holy principles and holy practices. I want to direct your attention to Psalms 15. It is a parallel scripture to Psalms 24. And since it's just a few verses, I want us to look at it in its, in its entirety. Psalms 15, the Bible says, Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell in thy holy hill? And again, here are the answers. He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue, nor doeth evil to his neighbor, nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor, in whose eyes a vile person is condemned. And he that honoreth them that fear the Lord, but he honoreth them that fear the Lord. He that sweareth to his own hurt, and changeth not. He that putteth not out his money to usury, nor taketh reward against the innocent, he that doeth these things shall never be moved. So Psalms 15, Psalms 24, holding hands, a common thread, a common denominator in these passages of scripture. <coughs> worshiping the Lord, <coughs> worshiping the Lord always should take us to higher ground. It should always take us to a higher place. Amen. And so tonight, quite literally, what has happened from the moment this service started until this moment we're dwelling in right now, our praise and our worship should have taken us to a higher place. I don't know about you, but I certainly felt better the instant I stepped in the side door and I felt the presence of the Lord and the saints of God singing songs of praise and reverence unto him. And so worship means taking ourselves or the Lord pulling us to a higher level. And so as we begin to read through the scripture and, and you start out in the Old Testament, you begin to read through some of those Levitical laws, you see that God called a certain sect of people, a set aside people. 
and he designated to them a very specific job and their job was to carry the Ark of the Covenant or the Ark of God, which represents and represented the power of God and the anointing of God. These set aside people had the ta- that had this task were Levites. And even though they were chosen by God, now that's their job, that's their only job, and no one else is allowed to do their job. So God has called them to carry the ark. And so they've been chosen to carry the ark of God, but it still had to be carried in a very specific manner. Now, this is not my subject tonight, so I won't elaborate on this a whole lot, but they couldn't touch it with their hands. There were rings on the side of the ark, and they had to run rods or staves through the side of those rings, and they had to be lifted up. Then the ark would be lifted up, and then it would be borne on the shoulders of men. They would never really, in actuality, touch it with their hands. And But even though the Levites were set aside, and even though they were called to move the ark of God, and even though they would never touch the ark with their own hands, they yet had to be ceremonially or ceremoniously cleansed. They could not just go up to the ark. They just couldn't come in after a long day, wipe the grease off their hands and, and just walk in, even though they're called to do this. Does that make sense? That's their job. That's their job title. That's their specialty. But they just could not walk in and pick up the rods, run them through the rings, one, two, three, lift. They had to be cleansed according to the word of God. And I just come tonight to tell you that God has not changed. Amen. So we must be clean. We must be cleansed if we are going to worship the Lord and please him. Amen, I will say it again, again, and again, if God will give me breath. You may be able to praise God with sin in your life, but you cannot worship God with sin in your life because sin separates and sin breaks relationships and worship is all about relationships. And so in our text this evening in Psalms 24, it mentions, David mentions clean hands. And so this speaks of righteous conduct or righteous actions. And so um, I, I by no means am speaking to the, to the fact that we can be saved through works or saved by works, but we certainly have to come before the Lord with clean hands. The Bible talks about if we bring in our, our gift to the altar, our sacrifice to the altar, and there we are reminded that we have an ought against our brother, The Bible says that you are to leave your gift at the altar and you are to go make that wrong right because we can't just enter in any old way. It just will not work. Amen, it will not work. And so this speaks about righteous conduct or righteous actions. I wanna read an alarming passage of scripture, at least it is to me, found in the book of Isaiah chapter one and verse number 15 and 16. The Bible says this, and when you spread forth your hands... I will hide mine eyes from you. Wow. When you you stretch forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Yea, when you make many prayers, I will not hear your hands are full of blood. You've come to me unclean. And And if you think we can just come in to the presence of the Lord unclean, and just because we got our hands in the air and we're singing on key and we're clapping in harmony with everything else around us, the Lord said, I will hide my eyes. Amen, I will, I will hide my eyes. And, and when you make prayers, I will not hear. And he says in verse 16, wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings from before mine eyes. And he says, cease to do evil. Amen. There, who shall ascend? This is my question. And who shall stand? Who shall ascend? And who shall stand? I, I am not saying that that trying to make it from here to heaven is just a matter of jumping through a bunch of hoops that the Lord keeps moving on us. Nothing could be further from the truth. But I do believe there are some God-based and biblical principles that we're going to have to pull into our heart and not live them for a few hours on Sunday or a few hours on Wednesday, every now and then here, a little there. But I believe it's something we've got to weave into the fabric of who we are 
at two o'clock in the morning, who we are and in the mid-afternoon, in the middle of the week, I've got to put trust in the Lord because who shall ascend and who shall stand? The second thing in our text speaks about a pure heart. And this addresses something a little bit deeper than just actions and deeds. This addresses godly character. This addresses our motives. This looks into the heart. This looks into what makes it go. I've always been uh, intrigued about what makes things work. My mother, I used to stay in a whole lot of trouble as a child because one of the first things I wanted to do when I got something was take it apart. Not to be destructive, but I was curious what makes this bicycle go. Further, what makes this bicycle stop? What makes it turn? What makes it this? What makes it that? There's a curiosity about what is behind the scene. And I believe God is not just looking at something that's all sparkly on the outside. God is looking at our heart, the motive, what motivates us, what, what, what is the catalyst in our heart. Amen. So he talks about our motives. In, in the Sermon on the Mount, in, uh, in the Beatitudes, in Matthew 5, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. Jude says, to the pure, all things are pure. To the defiled, all things are defiled. Later in, that, later in the portion of Psalms 24, it says, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Who, who is that person that has not lifted up their soul to vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. Vanity refers to the worship of idols or the worship of worthless things. Now, I think very few people today in 2019 would plead guilty to being an idol worshiper, while some may be proud of that, but I, I believe few would, would want to plead guilty to that because they wouldn't consider themselves to be worshiping an idol. But I want to tell you tonight to remind all of us, and myself included, that whatever we allow to stand between us and God has become an idol. It doesn't have to be a statue of wood. It doesn't have to be a statue of stone. It doesn't have to be a cow or the sun or the moon. Amen. Whatever we allow to come between us and God, that can become an idol. And then David in Psalms 24 mentions swearing deceitfully. Of course, this encompasses any type of deception. And so we gotta be very, very careful that we not just out and out blatantly lie we got to be very careful that we don't deceive as well. Amen. And so he says, who, who is this godly man? Is there any such thing in this godless hour? Is there any such thing as godliness in the day in which we live? I believe the answer to that is not only yes, but I believe it's a resounding yes. I believe that there is a such thing as living godly in this wicked and corrupt world. And so I'm just going to ask you to make a journey with me. And I know some of you thought we were already starting. But I'm going, to, I'm going, how was that for an introduction? I just want to ask you to make a, a journey with me for a little while. And I, I promise you this, uh, if I sense you're just too weary, I, I do know how to stop. And uh, if I don't finish, we'll finish later. But I, I, I think the Lord will, I think the Lord is wanting to say something. I really believe that he has given me something today. And so I want to talk about who is this godly, David again calls him a man, but, but we're not talking about just to the, to the male factor here tonight, but who is this godly person? Who is this godly person that can stand and that can ascend? I believe that this godly person is a person of knowledge. Now, a natural person may have a little bit of head knowledge, but Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 2, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. And so we can have a lot of head knowledge and yet not know the Lord. Not know him in the power of his might. We cannot know him intimately in, in a relationship. And so uh, we may be able to reason things out naturally. But we need God's presence within us. That's why it's so important to receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Because it is the Spirit of God that will lead us and guide us, lead and guide us into all truth. 
Amen. We need the infilling of his spirit. We need God's presence within so that we can discern the things of God in a spiritual manner. As one man said, vapors cannot rise higher than the sun will draw them. And so we can't grow any more than what the Lord lives in our heart. Amen. We can't gain and attain any more than what kind of relationship we really have with the Lord. And so a natural man, we cannot conduct ourselves beyond ourselves. I'm not trying to sound snide with that, but we can't, you're not any smarter than you really are. And you can always kind of tell when people are trying to get beyond their domain. <laughs> right? They just heard some words and they're using big words, but they really have no knowledge of that. And so you can, you know, you can fool a few people a little while, but you can't live outside of who you really are. Amen. There's a certain reason that I don't teach on certain subjects. I know nothing about them. And so I may be able to read a little bit and bluff you for a little while, but when the service is over, if you come to me with some hard questions, <laughs> ask me how a nuclear submarine works, I don't know. I might be able to read an article and talk to you a little bit about it. I might be able to insert a little bit of that in the sermon illustration. But if you want me to break it down play by play, you're probably talking to the wrong person. You're not probably talking to the wrong person. You're talking to the wrong person. And so absent God's spirit in our lives, we cannot detect the true evil that lurks around us. That's why the Bible talks about whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds, the eyes of people, and people are flirting. I'm gonna tell you something. We live in a very, very evil and corrupt world. Very, very evil and corrupt world. The, the, the programs on television and in, in theaters today are filled with demonic spirits and filled with demonic relationships and people that don't have the infilling of the Holy Ghost are following after that like the Pied Piper of Hamlin because they have no spiritual insight to be able to detect what's evil. They've lost their, their sense of being able to detect what's right and wrong and so absent the Spirit of God living in us, we cannot detect the evil that lurks in our own heart. But a godly man is taught by God. There is instruction that comes through his word, of course, and there's also instruction that comes by just the power of his spirit living in our heart. I'm speaking to people that have been led by the spirit to do something or to stop doing something. The spirit of the Lord, nobody taught you, nobody gave you a, a, a 10 bullet point lesson of how you ought to do this or you ought not do that, but the spirit of the Lord began to instruct us. John in 1 John 2 and 27, the word of the Lord says, this anointing teacheth you all things and is truth and is no lie. The word of God teaches you all things. You, you see, there's something about actual experience that cannot be compared to anything else. Actual experience. There's a huge difference between somebody reading about a country, looking up that country on a map, studying all kind of things about the culture of that country. There's a huge difference between that person and the person who actually lives in that country. I mean, you can look at it from afar, you can read all about it, but living there, you expose yourself to the culture, you expose yourself to the atmosphere, the mindset. And there are, there are, there are some rare ingredients that make up the life of a godly person. And I want to talk about that for just a moment tonight. Amen. Godly people are grounded in knowledge. They are grounded in knowledge. Amen. I want to say that again. They are grounded in knowledge. Grounded in knowledge. Colossians 1 and 23. The Bible says, if you continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. I'm gonna tell you, we gotta get a hold of something. Dig us, amen, some roots, some Holy Ghost roots. We gotta drive down some stakes and say, Lord, help me to be grounded in the knowledge of who you are. It's not just simply believing what my church teaches. It's got to go beyond just 
just living what my pastor says. Amen, we need to get grounded in the truth. Paul was grounded in the truth. That's why he could say, though we are an angel from heaven, come preaching any other gospel, let him be accursed. He was grounded. It was settled in his heart. Amen, this saving knowledge rests firmly between two very important aspects, and that is the word and the spirit. The word is a guide, and the spirit is a witness. Amen, that, that there, there is saving knowledge, saving knowledge, amen, that is certainly a part of the leading of the Spirit of God. When the disciples of Jesus Christ were faced with an ultimate decision in their life, this is after the fishes and the loaves, this is on the other side of all the miracle signs, miracles and wonders, they are standing there, people are walking away by the droves. Jesus is left standing there with those that he had chosen to begin with. They're standing at the most critical moment of their life. And Simon Peter speaks up and he said something incredibly powerful. We have quoted one portion of John 6, 68 countless times where Simon Peter asked a question, Lord, to whom shall we go? He makes a very bold comment, thou hast the words to eternal life. What great truth there is. However, on the heels of that statement, he says something that completely clears the air and it settles all things once and for all. Because it's here that Simon Peter says in John 6 and 69, with all these others standing around him, they, they said, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. Amen, we've got to get grounded in something. What kept them from walking away when others were walking away? What kept them in the, in the divine purpose of the Lord when everything around them was crumbling apart? Amen, Simon Peter just said, Lord, to whom else would we go? Thou hast the words to eternal life. And furthermore, amen, we believe and we we are sure that thou art that Christ, the son of the living God. I'm gonna tell you, if your faith has not been tested, it will be tested. If what you believe has not been tried, it will be tried. That's why we better drive down some stakes and get it deep, not just in the sand, but into the bedrock, amen, of our heart and say, I am holding on to the unchanging hand of God. I've gotta be grounded in the knowledge of who he is, amen. I want to, uh, another thing I think is that, that a godly person has the characteristic of, and that is an appreciation of knowledge. In order for a jeweler to have uh, any idea or any skill to be able to assess the value of a jewel, they have to know it. Know it. Otherwise, it's just a rock in their hand. But in order for them to arrive at at a true and accurate estimate, they've got to know something about that jewel that they're holding. And so they give themselves to the study of jewels and they immerse themselves in that world. That kind of knowledge is not going to happen with a casual relationship. They have got to think it. They've got to drink it. They've got to eat it. They've got to breathe it. They've got to sleep it. Amen. It's not an accident that the Lord spoke to Ezekiel and said, here is this loaf, the word of God. He said, eat it. I mean, get it in you. Get it everywhere in you. Get it inside of you, not just in your mouth, not just in your esophagus, but it needs to be in your bloodstream. I'm gonna tell you, I need to have an appreciation. I'm, I'm answering the question, who shall ascend and who shall stand? I gotta love knowledge. I gotta be grounded in knowledge. I've gotta have an appreciation for knowledge. I've got, I cannot have a casual relationship with the word of God. I need to be passionate about it. Amen. You and I, we need to be passionate about the knowledge of the word of God. David said in the 119th Psalm, in verse number 93, David said this. He said, I will never forget thy precepts, for with them thou hast quickened me. David said, I'll never forget. I'm just never gonna forget your word, amen, because it is your word. It is the precepts of your word. It is the principles of your word that has quickened me. I don't wanna just commit a scripture to memory so that I can parrot that scripture, so that I can rehearse that scripture back, so that I can just quote it for the sake of quoting it. Amen, I wanna get it in my heart. David said, pass.
passionately. I will never forget thy word because your word, it brought me out of the miry clay. Your word, it brought me out from where I was and it put me where I am. Your word quickened me. I was dead in trespasses and sin, but your word spoke life. I was astray and your word spoke direction. I was in the, I was in the dark and your word became a light. David said, I'll never forget that. I'll never forget that. One writer said it like this, Bible knowledge in a natural man's head only is like a torch in a dead man's hand. It's not gonna do a whole lot of good other than where it is residing. And so true knowledge is gonna bring a passion. Amen, I like people to be passionate about what they're doing. Act like you care. You ever been in a business when they didn't act like they cared if you were there? Makes you wanna leave, don't it? Somebody walks up to your table and wait on you, act like they're having the worst day in their life. You just know how this is gonna turn out, not gonna turn out too well. When somebody loves their job and they enjoy what they're doing, they bring that joy with them to the counter. They bring that joy with them to the table. Amen, so I'm thankful for passionate knowledge. Who's gonna stand? Who's going to ascend? It's people that don't just have a passion about this knowledge, but it's people that know how to apply this knowledge. I have something in my head and I'm going to do something about this. I mean, you see, medicine is not, on, is not gonna work unless you take it. You can go to the doctor. They can figure out what's wrong with you. They can prescribe something that can not maybe heal you. If not heal you, it can help you. But when they write the prescription and put it in your hand... They've done all they can do. Years of service, years of study, years of commitment has now been transferred into the hand of someone else. You know, many, many times people don't even get their prescriptions filled. And if they feel it, they don't take it. I feel conviction in the house. <laughs> but you see, it's only gonna work if you take it. It's only gonna work if you apply it. Amen. Job's, Job acknowledged that God had been, Job in Job's life rather, Job had been tested. He had been pushed. He had been pulled. Amen. To his very breaking point, Job's knowledge of God, his understanding of God, his confidence in God had been it had been pushed to the very edge, yet his faith was unwavering in, the, in, in spite of this unprecedented opposition. And that's why Job could say, in the face of all that he was going through, I know that my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer liveth. Amen. Why? Because he had applied that knowledge. He stood steady in the boat. He never opened his mouth to charge God foolishly. He never pointed his finger into heaven and said, where are you, God? He never sinned with his lips, the Bible says. He said, I know my Redeemer lives. Job had tested the knowledge of God and he came through. Amen. I'm talking about who shall ascend and who shall stand. Do you want to do more than just call yourself a Holy Ghost filled individual? Do you want to do more than just call yourself a Christian? Amen. Do you want to be able to ascend into the heavens with God? I'm not talking about on the rapture day. Amen. But I'm talking about do you want to be able to ascend into the presence of God? Do you want to be able to stand in the presence of God? We're going to have to have the knowledge of his word. We're going to have to ground it in our heart, we're going to have to apply it to our everyday living. Amen. The knowledge of God has got to transform us. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 18, the Bible says, but we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of God, and listen, and are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of of the Lord. Amen. We're beholding as in a glass the glory of God. And as we behold the glory of God, as it were in this proverbial glass, we are changed into that image from glory to glory by the Spirit of God. I believe that an artist must first see the face on the picture or the face on the canvas before he can paint or she can paint the face on the canvas. Amen. I, I, I remember uh, reading about 
uh, a sculptor who talked about uh, how in answering the question of how they could take just a piece of granite or a piece of rock and they could they could make a sculpture of a, a true lifelike image of someone and they were just talking about this in this sense that they were there all along. I just let them out. I just released them. They were there. I just took away things that were hiding it. But I believe that artist has got to be able to look at that raw image. They've got to look at that empty canvas. They've got to look at that rock or that block of wood and say in there is living something and I've got to release it and I've got to let it go. Amen. And so as we behold the glory of God, amen, the writer says we are transformed into his likeness. Hallelujah. Amen. We got to look into him. We got to behold his face. And as we do, we are transformed. Amen. By his glory day by day by day. I know of nothing else you can just look at and become. You can't be in need of surgery and just go stare at a surgeon. It's not going to work. But we can behold the word of God and beholding the word of God as it were in a glass. Amen. And we start becoming. We, the more you read about him, the more you want to be like him. Amen. The more you walk with him, the closer the spirit of God holds us in our heart. Amen. It gives us the image of Christ and it allows us then to partake of his nature. The Bible talks about the man Moses. When he went to the mount called Sinai, the presence of the Lord filled the top of that mountain in the presence of the Lord. Amen. As he was standing in the presence of the Lord and then became, and it came time to descend from the mountain, the Bible says that the children of Israel saw that his countenance, his face shone. There was something about the face of Moses that the Moses coming down was different than the Moses that was going up. And the only thing that was different about the Moses coming down than the Moses going up was that he stared into the presence of God. Amen. And that image began to move and shake him and shape him. I'm going to tell you, I believe that the power of God left a forever mark on the life of Moses because he beheld the glory of God. Hallelujah. I believe we ought to be changed when we're in the presence of God. So incrementally changed. You may not morph into something overnight and you probably are not going to morph into something overnight. But something ought to happen if we could somehow measure it. If there was some sort of spiritual tool that we could walk through on the way into this sanctuary and then scan ourselves on the way back out. There ought to be something that just shines a little bit more like this God we've been singing about. Amen. This God we've been preaching about this God we've been worshiping and talking about here this evening. There ought to be something that changes us. Amen. There is something about the knowledge of God, the word of God, the spirit of God that should cause us to want to empty ourselves of self. The more like him we desire to become, the more like us we're going to need to be. <clears throat> And so I need to empty more of me out, get more self out of the way. You see, if we just have carnal knowledge, carnal knowledge can cause a person to be lifted up and prideful. But godly knowledge causes somebody to fall out of love with who they are and fall in love with who he is. Amen. So the more we know about God, I don't really know how to say this, but the more we know about God, the more we learn about God, the more imperfections we see in ourselves. And, and God is not trying to denude us. I'm, I'm not trying to say that at all and belittle us. And so we come into the presence of the Lord so we can just leave feeling worse about ourselves. That's not what I'm talking about. But I remember something happened several years ago. Brother... Jerry and I were, um, I think we were at my house, I think. And we were, uh, he had a chainsaw and I had a chainsaw. We were cutting down some trees. And um, I can't remember what, what, what we, why we were doing this, but anyway. And uh, so we felt pretty good about ourselves. We both laughed about this. I don't know if you'll remember it as we're talking, but if you will, smile at me in a minute. <laughs> 
We were feeling pretty good about ourselves. And about that time, Everett and Jason Bird drove up. <laughs> for those of you who don't know Everett and Jason Bird, they're raised in the logging family and they do this for a living. So in the minute they got out their chainsaws and 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 what happened was we had two guys on the job that had own we owned chainsaws. And used them from time to time. I'm not trying to make us sound like imbeciles at all. But but then all of a sudden two guys showed up on the job that really knew what they were doing. In a few minutes, I you remember this now? We, a few minutes we kind of sankered over there and Next news you know, we got two guys standing there with two saws just sitting on the ground because, <laughs> because somebody who really knew what they were doing. And they weren't getting their saw hung up in the tree. And <laughs> they weren't running that chain down in the dirt and the things that I was doing. I'm not speaking about Brother Jerry. They... They weren't doing all those things. They, they, they knew what they were doing. And in the face of somebody that really knew what they were doing, it made me realize, I ought to put this on eBay. <laughs> I, might, I may better get out of the chainsaw business. They didn't come up to shame us. or They didn't come up to embarrass us. They didn't puff out their chest and say, you boys move out of the way and let some real men get in here. But it was just in the presence of someone who was skilled. And that's what I'm talking about. In the presence of God, the presence of his power, we see our inadequacies. We see places that we need to grow. And, and let, me, let me maybe uh, capsulize it with this. When, when Isaiah speaks of seeing the Lord high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. And Isaiah's takeaway from that was this. Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. I'm, I'm an undone man. I'm an incomplete man. The presence of the Lord is revealing. Amen. Can you hang in there for a few more minutes? Amen. Hey, I promise you it'll be over before you know it. I'm being, I'm being very serious. This service will be over and we will never be able to try as we may to get back to it. But I, I, I'm not trying to test your will here tonight, but I just feel like the Lord will help us to bring this to a conclusion. I believe that the godly people, people that shall ascend and people that shall stand are people that are willing to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. You see, there are some people that have some knowledge and they're comfortable right there and they don't want anything or anybody to challenge their knowledge of God. Amen. But the Bible says in Colossians 1 and 10, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. We ought to be growing. Amen, I say this respectfully, but I don't care how long you've been serving the Lord. It doesn't matter how many sermons you've heard. It doesn't matter how many sermons I've preached. I need to be growing in the knowledge of God, stretching myself, yearning and learning in him. Amen, true knowledge is, is like the light breaking forth in the morning. That's my favorite. Favorite, favorite, favorite time of the day when the light just begins to start breaking over here behind us east on that, on that horizon. But you see, that's not enough light. It's not sufficient for the day. Amen. It's beautiful when it just farts to, when it just begins to start breaking and, and you can finally see and, and the earth is waking up and birds are singing. But you see, it's going to keep going. It's going to increase. The sun is not just going to give a little light, just a little dull light. But in a minute, over the top of those trees, that sun's going to come up and you can snap a picture of it and you can, you can hang it on your wall, but it's not done. It's not done. It's not going to stop until it reaches its zenith. I'm thankful for what I know in God. I say that humbly. I'm thankful for what the Lord has revealed to me. I say that humbly. I'm thankful for the experiences the Lord has allowed me to walk through. I say that humbly, but I don't know enough. I haven't experienced enough. I haven't tasted enough. I long for you, Lord. I yearn for you, Lord. Amen, it's so sweet. It is so sweet. The Bible, the song says to trust in Jesus. It is so sweet to, just to take him at his word, the power of God, the power of God. I'm gonna ask our musicians to come and I'm gonna close with this. Amen, there should be a practical knowledge of the Lord. Who shall, who shall ascend? Who shall stand? 
Amen. When the Bible says in John 10, 4, and when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and his sheep follow him, for they know his voice. When he putteth forth his own sheep, the Bible says he goes before them. Not behind them. He goes before them. Open the gate. Let the sheep out. Then he gets ahead of them. Amen. And the Bible says, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. You see, God requires, these are heavy words in 2019 in the pulpits across America, but God requires obedience to accompany knowledge. Amen. And it is a reproach, a reproach for a, for a Christian to live in contradiction to their knowledge. I mean, if you really want to get in some hot soup with your parents, you do something you know you're not supposed to do. And chances are, they're going to mention that. You know better. I'm, I'm being very serious. I'm not trying to be comedic. And that knowledge is indicting all of its own. If you did something wrong and you didn't know to do something wrong, you may still be in a world of trouble. But man, when you knew not to do it, or you knew to do it, the knowledge of that without obedience, that just turned things in a completely different direction. Amen. When we know how should we, we should live and we refuse to do the same thing, are you hearing me? It is the same thing as not knowing God. Now, I know we're coming in kind of heavy here this evening. But when we know what to do and we don't do that, then it is the same thing as not knowing the Lord. And I'm going to try to clarify this with Scripture and the help of the Lord right here. I don't want to just make some blanket statement and say, let's all stand and be dismissed. <clears throat> the Bible says in the book of 1 Samuel, we are introduced to a man by the name of Eli, a priest by the name of Eli. Now, here is a man that has given himself to the work of the Lord. This, I mean, a priest, that wasn't just something that he did nine to five. Priest wasn't something he did on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. This was his life, his absolute life. Amen. He was God's man of the day, God's man of the hour. Eli has two sons, one by the name of Hophni, another by the name of Phinehas. Now, they watched their dad all their life. He wasn't just a priest on the job. He was a priest at home. They watched their dad all their life conduct the duties of the priest. They had intimate knowledge of their father's vocation, calling, whatever you want to title it as. They were raised around the temple. They themselves were a part of some of that. They understood temple talk. <laughs> I have no reason not to believe that sitting around the table, they were privy to how did things go at the office today conversations. I like to never got that fire started this morning. I, am I just being too carnal? I just believe they were exposed to some, some behind the scenes things of God. And so we would ask then if they were raised in this close proximity, their father is the priest, they are in and out. I mean, he, he smells like the temple when he comes home at the end of the day. Everything about him declares who he is, what he is. The people all look to him and there's no way that they don't have intimate personal knowledge so how could they not know the God of their father? 
Yet there is a paralyzing passage of scripture that I believe should shake us to the core, and that is First Samuel chapter two and verse number twelve. The Bible says this of Eli and Hoff, uh, of, of his sons. He says, "Now the sons of Eli were the sons of Belial; they knew not the Lord." I want to just take this out of King James talk for just a moment. This is very, very strong because the Bible says the sons of Eli were the sons of Satan. Wow. Wow. The sons of the priest were the sons of the devil. Amen. That's, you know why? Because not to obey is the same thing as not knowing. Because if you don't walk in the revelation that you already have, you run the risk of losing that revelation. I want you to stand with me and I want to make just some closing comments here. I think sometimes we're prone to believe that that when people walk away from the Lord, that they just carry in their little satchel all they've ever known about the Lord. They may not forget Psalms 23. And they may not forget John 3.16. They, they may not forget the story of Moses and, and Noah and the ark. And that's not what I'm talking about. But I think there's a false idea that we think that people that have walked with the Lord and walk away from the Lord are just carrying around all of this knowledge. But I believe I've lived one day too long to believe that. In totality. Because I've watched people that knew the Lord and had a real relationship with Him. And a few years down the way, down the pike, they've let go of so many things until the revelation they once walked in. I'm not sure I believe that. Because you see, when you stop obeying it, you disconnect yourself from the source. Amen. I feel the Holy Ghost in what I'm talking about here tonight. Amen. We need to understand the power of obedience. We don't have a choice, ladies and gentlemen. When the Lord begins to reveal himself to us, I can't say, nah, I'm going to set that down. No, I don't think I'll take that. I don't think I want to, because we run the risk of losing our passion. I'm not suggesting that it's an automatic thing or that it happens in 90 days, but I'm telling you that the further you walk away from God, the more of a chance you stand of losing what you really felt and had burning in your heart. We need to know him and the power of his might. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We need to know him. We need to know him and love him. I feel like we just need to pray. Amen. The spirit of the Lord is moving in this place and we don't need to move past this too quickly. Amen. We don't need to move past this too quickly. In Jesus' name. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806. Or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.